1: This is Athletics Life Stories with your host, Chris Broadbent. After eight, to eight I actually went to, sort of, I don't know, I suppose it was a bit of a, a depression. And so he said to me, do you want to come and prove them wrong? And then, then I just said, yeah. For me to be actually able to see a it, not only as a coach, but as a mother, all of that, it was just one of those unreal special moments.
0: Welcome to Athletics Life Stories with myself, Chris Broadbent. Today I'm joined by one of the greatest long-distance runners in British history. Now known as Liz McColgan-Nuttall, as Liz Lynch and then Liz McColgan, she won World and Commonwealth Gold, Olympic Silver, won major marathons in London, New York and Tokyo, three Great North runs and was once world record holder for 10k on the road. She's now a respected coach and guided her daughter, Alice, to international success, including following her own footsteps as Commonwealth 10,000 metre champion, so famously this summer. Liz, it's good to see you.
1: Hey, nice to see you.
0: It's been Liz. a long time. <laughs> it has been a while. It's been a while, yeah. Um, so when I was looking into this and re- researching, I was looking back into you, and I, I think what first thing came to mind was that um, running and athletics have been such a massive part of your life, hasn't it? It's been it's been run right through your life. Can you ever imagine what life would be like without athletics and running?
1: And um, to be honest, I, you know, my running started for me when I was twelve, and um, I've run every day since I was twelve and it's like even now, you know, I don't need to run. You know, I'm fifty eight years of age but um I I still like to run and I think that, you know, um, luckily for me, although it was it became a career choice and, you know, um you know, I was able to sort of earn a living and travel the world and whatever, it was always something that I really, really enjoyed doing. So it's never been like a bind or um you know, like forced into it or, you know, it's just been like an everyday part of my normality of life. And, um, you know, I think like me going for a run is like a person going for a walk. Um, You know, I just, I just really enjoy being outside and getting the benefits that running gives me. And it still gives me the same benefits today as what I did when I, when I was a 12 year old. So, you know, nothing's changed in that way. So I'm, I'm just really, I suppose I'm very lucky and very grateful that I was able to have this a, a Korean sport, but also doing something that I really, really did enjoy and love to do.
0: Can you tell me about when you start? When you started your uh, well, your childhood, in your upbringing, in it was Dundee, wasn't it? A Whitfield Estate, wasn't it in Dundee? It was quite a it was council estate, wasn't it? And what what what, yes. what life was like then, and your family home, and what what it was like. Just give us a yeah. sense of what it was like.
1: I was brought up in a council state, obviously, and Dundee um, is kind of notorious really for, um, you know, it's more an industrial sort of town, you know, working man's town. Um wasn't a lot of employment. A lot of people sort of like, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunities. Um, not a lot of success came from the town. Um, they, you know, it was a type of, uh my like upbringing was kind of like, um left your own devices you know um i think everyone all around us was all unemployed and um parents weren't probably the best at money management and things like that so i was the youngest of four siblings and um you know we really didn't have a lot you know we had like um we were brought up in like you know else just a um you know always own rent um you know sort of like Juggling, my mom and dad would be juggling to pay the finances from one to the other, but not really paying anything off because you know they were in debt all the time. Um, so it was kind of that kind of upbringing. And for me, um, although although you were brought up like that, you know there were still um, you know support of um, to what I needed to do for my running and whatever. You know they would have sold their last um, they would have sold their last you know, give me the last penny for to go and run sort of thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, there just it was just the the era back then. There was a lot of poverty and really breadline, you know, families on the breadline and not having any extra funds to, you know, buy things and, um, you know, pay for me to go to races and all that sort of thing. So running for me was really good because, you know, it was a matter of like, you know, I didn't have the best trainers, but I had a pair of shoes. I was able to get out the door, and I was able just to run. It didn't cost me anything, so mm-hmm. that's kind of why I fell into it, um, and and it kind of suited my mentality right from the the, the onset because um, I was quite an independent person. Because you know, I had to do, I had to create my own um, sort of I, my own sort of I don't know upbringing around myself. Um, and for me, you know, running kind of gave me like an escapism from the sort of lifestyle that we were in. So like I could just go out and you know run up the country fields and you know really enjoy doing what I was doing. And I was able to do it at my own time, or, you know, not pressurised into um being at a certain place at a certain time or things mm. like that. It just suited my um, circumstances really. How
0: did, you, how did you find running in the first place? Because I, I would imagine it would have been quite an unusual activity. Not, not everyone was going out the, the door and going for a run that, from a council estate. Yeah, Were they?
1: Or? I was in my first year of school. So I was a year, you know, just going into first year at secondary school. And there was a PE teacher, Phil Cairns, who was a marathon runner. So like when you did your winter sports at school, most schools would be doing football and whatever. Phil used to send the kids out on cross-country races. And he used to be quite active in like, you know, organising inter-school cross-country matches and things. Um, So, like, in our lunchtime, um, I would, you know, like well during school classes, like, he'd send us out and he'd see, like, most of the girls would end up walking and whatever. And I was probably one of, like, four who would always keep going and, you know, finish the loop and not be tired and all that sort of thing. And he just obviously saw that, you know, I could run. And so he advised me to go along to the Hockle Harriers, which was a local club, sent four girls along. And out of the four girls, I was the only one that actually stayed, um, you know, after sort of several months and whatever. And um, I went under the wing then of a guy called Harry Bennett, who was the lead coach at Dundee Hockle Harriers. And um, he, he was like the sort of like the mentor that um, made me sort of think out of the box, like because... As a child, like you know, every, even at school, all the teachers used to say, "Oh, your brains are on your feet," and I never got any encouragement or anything. Just, I, and I think it was just because I was from Whitfield, and you know, not the most, um you know, sort of interactive in the classroom and whatever. I was quite quiet. And, t- um, teachers so, would actually say that to you then. They say your brains yeah, when
0: you th- yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay.
1: They actually said that to me. And the one thing that Harry always said, you know, you know, even even when I was like 13. Um, 14 he always said to me oh you know there's something about you you know you, you're going to do something really good and he just put a little seed in my head that's kind of made me think you know I think I could be good at this and um, not not in a way of like Olympics and that because at the time there was no women role models about that you know you would sit there and think oh I'm going to go to the Olympic Games and because that was kind of out with my my scenario of where mm. I was living um, you know, there's no way I would have ever thought I'd got an Olympic team or be a world champion because it was just like too big a dream, really. But you know, for me and what Harry made me think about was that you know if I trained hard, I'd get better, and if I get better, then you know I'll you know I'll I'll, I'll do something really spectacular. And, and he always said that to me, even like you know when I was thirteen, fourteen, right? Up to, you know I was sort of sixteen, seventeen, and then. um It was through him that um, a a lot of the parents didn't understand why he was being dead supportive of me because, like, there was other girls at the club that were, um, you know, that were good runners, you know, um, and maybe they thought that they were better than me and they were, like, they couldn't understand why he was spending time with me. So a couple of the girls actually left the club and everything because he was, like, you know, showing a little bit more support to me than other people. Mm. And then um, when I was 17, I got offered a scholarship to America, which I turned down. And then when he called Harry, Harry went behind my back and talked to my mum and dad and said, like, you know, she's not going to do anything here. Um, You know, we need to get her to America. And, and, you know, if her running can let her see the world, let her go. But we couldn't afford it. So he actually, him and uh, an uncle, of mine actually um put money in together and um paid my flights and then he marched me more or less frog marched me off to the states (laughs) um never been outside scotland before in my life and i went over to a place called uh, rexburg idaho and didn't know anybody or whatever but um the really sad thing about that was it it really did kickstart me into being like like a a proper professional athlete because you know you went into a school system that was supportive of athletics so all your schooling was around your training so it gave me a really good opportunity to not only train hard but also get back into my education and then mm. um, unfortunately for me um, just before my 18th birthday I was coming back and I was going away to do um, a Highland Games in um, in Fife and um, Harry was supposed to pick me up on his motorbike and I got a phone call from his wife saying that he had Died while out running in the street that morning, had a oh. massive back and passed away, and it was that quick. So, um, he never really got to see me actually progress and do as well as what I did and what he said that I was capable of doing. Um, but well, there must
0: have been some vision because I guess back, we're talking like. Early eighties here. There's no, there's no obvious. You went on to be successful in the 10k and the marathon, but there's no obvious pathway at that time, was there? Because there was no, no,
1: you know, no,
0: no, no, no 10k, in the Olympics for women, no, no. 10k in the world champs, no women's, women's marathon. Well, first women, women's marathon '84. there's no obvious yeah. pathway, was there?
1: Yeah, women was only good. when I when when he was saying that to me, um, I was 16 and he actually um got me to come down to his house and he discussing with me and I remember it vividly because he said, you know, um you know, you're going to be really good at endurance running, but you've got to give up all your other sports and you've got to concentrate on your running and I want you to do extra training. You know, he was going to come and meet me extra days of the week and things. And um, he actually said to me, you know, you're going to be really good at 10,000 metres. And at the time, women could only run 3,000 metres. And I was like saying to him, what's 10,000 metres? And he says, oh, it'll be 25 laps of the track. And I was like, yeah, right. I says, women can't do that. And he's like, no, by the time you're at your best, you're going to be a 10K runner. And he says, and the longer you go, the better you're going to be. And, you know, that was when I was 16. I wasn't even really doing anything that would, Mm -hmm. like, really say that, you know, yeah, you're going to be a great distance runner. So um, he really did have a lot of, um, I don't know, um, he had a lot of faith in me, and he obviously saw something that a lot of the other people didn't. Um, But... um, yeah it was, you know it's just unfortunate for me that he didn't actually you know live to see any of it you know like mm. it would have been great if he'd saw me win the Commonwealth games or something like that, but unfortunately you know he didn't but um you know i've you know I've got a lot to thank for his family and because like not only did Harry support me but his wife Vi did and you know the kids and that he had kids of his own and you know, he was obviously spending a lot of time with the kids at the club and that. So, you know, they were a very supportive family of what he was doing with his athletics as well. So, um, you know, I was very, very fortunate to have met him.
0: Okay, okay, okay. You went out to, to America. Yeah, you went, you went, but it's Alabama you ended up at, wasn't it?
1: I went to Rexburg High for a year and I won all the national junior collegiate um, titles one cross country, one the 3K, won the 5K. Um, so I got really highly recruited from um, pretty much all the schools, uh, you know, Division 1 schools in the States. But I chose Alabama because the coach there just seemed really nice. He seemed really supportive. He was very aware that, you know, I was European and that um, I would want to run well when I come back. And so... His offer to me was like, you know, as long as you you know run your best you can at regionals and finals for us and I'll support you for doing Europeans. And so I thought, yeah, that you know, was good insight on him. Um, and he had a, a lot of like uh, Icelandic members on the team and that. So I opted to go to mm. Alabama.
0: OK, OK. And that's obviously your first husband, Peter, was there. But other athletes were there at the time? that you remember as well?
1: No, there wasn't any athletes there when I was there that I actually knew and part of the deal that me getting to alabama was that they gave peter a scholarship as well so actually peter got over on my um running scholarship really but um he did well he went over there because he did actually get i think he got a bronze at national so he actually sort of like you know earned his uh his scholarship at the end of the day Mm. but um but yeah we decided to go there together
0: okay okay and it's 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 a tough scene, isn't it, in America? It's sink or swim. It doesn't work for everyone, does it, from a British athlete perspective?
1: I I think you've got to be quite... um, When I went over there, I had a plan. You know, I I didn't go over there and just think, oh, well, I'm just going to train. You know, um, my plan was to, you know, get a good education, but at the same time, I always wanted to make sure that I ran well when I came back to Europe. So um, I always made a point of... um, you know when people were easing down for like regionals and nationals and stuff i was always like doing extra stuff because like you know i i didn't want to peak too early and all that sort of stuff so um i used to actually sit down with the coach and plan you know like how how i would sort of like work out with the sessions that he was sort of doing with the the group and then what i would have to add on to that to you know sustain what i needed to do um, because I was pretty much self-coached and I was still working on a lot of the ethos that Harry had worked with me and what I'd learnt from him. So it worked out pretty well for me. I mean, it was a good balance um, with what Coach John Mitchell had and what you know I believed I needed to do as well. It married itself well together, to be honest.
0: Okay, okay. And I'm going to move forward to what was the 86 Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh and winning the 10,000 metres there was, would it be fair to call it a life-changing event, that for you?
1: Oh yeah, I mean, um, you know, I wasn't favourite going into Edinburgh, and there was a lot of obviously controversy with the funding and all this sort of stuff, and so you know it was a bit distracting to the athletes because like one, t- you know, we didn't really know are we going, are we not going, you know, is it going to go on, is it not going to go on, and then you know, obviously it all went ahead, and um, and I, you know, I I I did really well at the British trials, you know, I I came back from American kind of like, you know, I lapped everybody in the field and there, were, there was a rule back then that if everybody, anybody got lapped, they had to drop out and well, I pretty much lapped everybody in the field. And that caused a bit of, like, you know, sort of controversy. I remember the two B two sisters were fighting with... Um, fighting with... Um, uh, officials to sort of try and be allowed to finish because they were still under the Commonwealth qualifying time for Wales. <laughs> That so was a bit of a was a a two
0: Is it
1: was two yeah. Angela was the only one that got to finish. I'm not I'm not too sure if Susan did manage. I'm not sure right. in any way. there was a bit of controversy, there. But then that kind of like sort of made people think, Oh, who who's this Scottish you know, who's she's just come back from the States and she's sort of running a really good ten K there? And then um when we went to Commonwealth Games, um you know, it was you know I'd been in the States, so I hadn't had any pressure on me or anybody really looking to say, oh, you know, she's going to get a gold medal or that sort of thing. But as the games went on, it became very apparent that Scotland weren't really having a great games. And people that were supposed to be sort of medal contenders were coming in and they weren't winning the medals that they were supposed to win and whatever. On on the last... Like, I was the last opportunity for... A track go a track medal on the track. Um, when I left, you know, when I when I left to do my ten k, and I remember like held ever the she was like uh, our sort of like manager team manager, and she said to me all as you know you're our last hope, and I just remember like that's probably the first time that I felt pressure, and. You know, there was a couple of my, my friend, like Yvonne Murray, didn't run very well. And I was I knew she was coming back and I wanted to try and avoid her because I didn't want to see her disappointed and me needing to go out and compete. Mm-hmm. And it was really quite difficult because, you know, you were kind of on your own and you were dealing with your first sort of championship. And um, it was hard to sort of like try and really focus on what you needed to do to, to get the best performance for you rather than what was going on all around you. Um, so it was a good learning curve. And then when I won, it was like just getting thrown into the lines then because, um you know, I'd never been in front of a TV camera. I didn't, you know, I went home the next, I think it was two days later or something, and I had, like, BBC TV parked outside my house. I had all these reporters at my gate, and I'm like, what is happening here like you know why these people here because <laughs> I didn't get the enormity of it I didn't I didn't get it because to me yeah one but it wasn't like um anything had changed but it changed in everybody else's eyes and I mean I even had people saying to me that I'd need to go to elocution lessons because nobody would understand the way I talk and it made me feel really um self conscious. You know, and and so I didn't like to talk to the camera. So whenever a camera or anything was put in my face, I'd just put my head down. It'd be yes, no, yes, no. I wouldn't elaborate on anything. I was very quite abrupt because, you know, I became very, very aware of people judging you, but not for Mm. your running. And it was really, really difficult because, you know, a lot of people nowadays have media training and whatever, and I had nothing. And, Mm. um, you know, and and you just didn't know how to cope with it because all I wanted to do was run. And mm. then I'd getting invited left, right and centre to all these awards and, you know, and, and people would sort of be quite rude if I said, no, I wasn't going to go because I want to train. And, you know, and, and they didn't get that side of me that, you know, I was, uh, you know, I I was like so focused on my training that I didn't like mm. things to interrupt it. And so I kind of think I got like a bit of a bad reputation as being like a bit and. You know, not, but people just didn't get me that, you know, I didn't like that kind of life. So, you know, I wanted just to be the runner that I always was. And I wanted to, you know, I was very aware that, you know, if you don't get the work done, then, you know, you're not going to win the races and you can get all mm. the awards in the world, but you've still got to keep your focus. And so it was really, really difficult for me. But um, I think it took me took me a good couple of years just to get used to it and to sort of settle into how to cope with it all. And mm. then, you know, I started to deal with things a lot better.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess she went from being quite an unknown to suddenly a household name overnight. And But yeah. you, must, you must look back and go, it's, it's not every athlete gets a chance to win a, a major championship in front of a home crowd, so it must be... Oh, no. It's, it's almost right, it's one of your favourite moments.
1: Oh, it's probably... like It was like the beginning of the end, really, because um, I think when you win something of that nature, um, the greatest thing is being able to share it with people, and that's yeah. what makes it such an emotional thing. And so, like, when I was in Edinburgh, you know, you had the whole stadium shouting on me to win. When I won, my dad was there, my mum was there. Um, You know, it was just a massive excitement because all my aunties and uncles were there. um, And you could just share that moment with everybody. And then when I went to the World Championships, like, in in, 8... Well, even in Seoul, in... uh, Well, in Seoul in to 8 and the World Mm -hmm. Championships... In '91, when I won gold, I remember like getting my gold medal, and it was kind of like no fireworks, no nothing, and it was quite sort of like sad because like I was sitting there and I thought, "Gosh, there's nobody here to actually (laughs) like share the moment with." And although that you know your team members and that are all great, and you know they're all. And, like, and my, my husband was there at the time as well. We actually just, two of us just went back to the room. We just sat down in the bed thinking, well, was that it? <laughs> <laughs> this
0: is the pinnacle. <laughs>
1: the climax, because, you know, and that's, that's the beauty. And I always say to people, like, you know, when you do win something like that, you know, you do, you know, do take the time to share it with people because that's yeah. what makes it really important. And I never, ever got that feeling in any other thing that I, that I won. Um maybe Linda Martin came close to it where, you know, people were really excited and you could share the moment with them. But um it does make a massive difference when you've got home support and family there massively. It was a bit like the um, Birmingham with Ailish. It was just such an honour to be there to see uh-huh. her, my daughter, um, do what she did and like to hear the response of the crowd okay. and um the sort of like the excitement of everybody wanting her to win and then to actually be there and witness it is like Something else, um and I can now understand how my mum and dad felt when I won in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah, you know. yeah. Uh,
0: lovely, yeah, lovely, yeah. Um, we'll get, we'll definitely get on to Ailish. You know, no doubt about it. Too much talk about Ailish. Let's go back to the the first Olympics though in, in Seoul, and you got silver there. Was that? I think I've heard you say before you disappointed at the time with that. Where you wanted more than that? Yeah,
1: yeah, I was really disappointed with it because I worked really, really hard, and at the time. Um, after the Commonwealth Games I met a guy called John Anderson and he kinda of started coaching me. Um kind of he's, he's the
0: guy that most people will know as the the old gladiators referee, isn't he? <laughs> <The> 1990s, <yes. laughs>
1: yeah. Um and he used to he was also the coach to Dave Moorcroft and Judy Livermore at the time. It's through Judy that I sort of met him. And um he always pertained that, you know, he knew my coach Harry and that's kind of what's caught me with him that you know, he he was a friend of Harry's or whatever. And um, so I started coaching with him and very early on in the coaching relationship I realised that um he wasn't doing the types of training that I needed to do to be a really good tech well from what I believe that I needed to do to be a good ten K runner. So I did a lot of different stuff that year and then I kinda of sort of approached and said, look, you know, I don't think I'm doing the right thing here and then it kinda of swung another way um, so the partnership you know it was okay, but I wouldn't say it was the best and um I felt that I was slightly overtrained going into the eight to eight, and um I just felt that I let myself down because um I should have been sort of strong enough as an athlete myself to say like you know I want to do more of this kind of work, but I didn't, and I felt that I didn't go into that race as strong as what I should have been. Um, mm. for the race against the girls that I did, and you know, obviously I got a silver. But um, when you put all that, you know, work together, and you know, you know, you're good enough to get a goal, but you don't get it. It's quite a, a it's quite a hard thing to take. And then obviously too, there's a lot of drug use back then, and you know mm. that affected me. Um, and so after eight to eight, I kind of went. Through, I actually went through. A sort of, I don't know. I suppose it was a bit of a, a depression, and I just went through a thing where I felt like a love running and i actually thought to myself like you know no matter what i do i'm never going to win because there's always going to be a drug cheat there ahead of you that's the way i felt okay and i just felt that um i couldn't be you know i was kind of like well what do i need to do um i need to uh, you know what, what do i need to do to um you know get a goal and at the time i couldn't really see um see how i could You know, like, because it was just like, you know, I just felt at the time there's a lot of drug cheats going on. And, um, you know, I'm a clean athlete and, you know, I'm tuning my, you know, self into the ground and I'm still getting silver. So I kind of, um, I kind of then said to myself, well, I'm not enjoying it anymore. Um, And I I did like a semi-retirement. And then um, I then sort of, me and my husband then decided, well, you know, let's try and have a family and whatever. So we tried. We sort of went about trying to get pregnant, and that kind of never happened. And then um, I remember just like sitting watching an interview with Jill Hunter, and she was doing the the Commonwealth Games. It was uh, she was favourite to win the Commonwealth Games in Auckland. And I remember I was sitting there, and I said to like just off the cuff to my husband Peter, and I says, "I think I could win that." And he says, "Well, if you think you win it, why don't you just go and?" Get yourself into shape and and do it. So I took myself off for three months and um got into decent shape. I wasn't in the best shape, and I ended up um winning the Commonwealth Games in Auckland. Mm. And then when we came back, um I, I you know we end, I ended up um getting pregnant when not really wanting to get pregnant anymore because I decided mm-hmm. to get back into my running. And then I was four months pregnant before I knew it, and then that was when Ailish came along.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. And that, I mean, that's a big chapter in your life, isn't it? Obviously, Elish being born, but you you did, you came back. Well, but first thing, you 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 were pregnant, and Nike dropped you, didn't they, as, as an athlete?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I as soon as I was sort of pregnant, like as soon as I knew I was pregnant, I didn't know I was pregnant until I was about four four and a half months pregnant because I was still mm-hmm. running hundred odd miles a week and stuff. Um, and then I just didn't feel myself, and I was getting like chicken wings on my arms and I was like why is this happening and uh I ended up going the doctors and uh, ended up being yeah pregnant whatever but um as soon as that you know as soon as I sort of did that you know I told like you know the coach and the agent and you know all this and then as soon as um I suppose they just assumed that you know I, w- I wouldn't be making it back so why pay the rest of her contract so I was just I was just cut there and then um and so yeah, so I was an uh, an unsponsored athlete right up until the week before the the Tokyo Games. The right. but yeah, Is I that... got I got um dropped by Nike right away. Yeah, but that, I mean that a lot back then. I think you know, um, you know, women, a, a lot of women when they did get pregnant, you know, they never really got back into the sport. So I think back then that's kind of just what happened with contracts. You, you know, you, you never got support through pregnancy or anything like that. It's just like, well, we'll just stop it now. So, um, but yeah.
0: Okay, okay, but that, that was probably a great year, though, wasn't it? It turned out to be a great year, ninety-one, winning the world championships.
1: It was a good year. Um, I mean, uh, I did, I did more than that. I, I was a uh, bronze medal. Mm. At the you come club. back and
0: do the bronze medal cross, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Got a bronze medal at the cross country uh, 12 weeks after having knee And then I won, I won the world title nine months later. Then I won New York. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty good. I got BBC Sports Personality of the Year. It was another great thing. So yeah, it was a good year for me. Um, it was a tough year. Um, you know, I trained really, really hard to do what I did. But um, but yeah, it was a, a a good a good old year for me.
0: There was there was a bit there was a lot of hyperbole. It was the talk about I remember the watching the, I remember watching the um the, the final in Tokyo the ten thousand metres which he won and it being um being described as by Brendan Foster as the greatest race ever by any male or British male or female runner at the time. It was it was really. It sort of stuck out that that remark. Uh, it was, uh, I think, it was just because of the the conditions there. Just, but yeah. I was watching on TV, but the conditions obviously, unless you're there, it's hard to. It, to
1: experience it. Stuff. I think the worst thing, and I think a lot of people don't understand, well, didn't realise, was like normally when you go and do a race, you um, do your warm up, and you know what time you're gonna. So the call up room is like 20 minutes before your race. Everybody knows that once you go in that call up room, you know you get your tight, you uh, spikes checked, you get your gear checked, your number checked, and then you're out and on the track. But what a lot of people don't realise is because the world record getting broken for the long jump, we were kept about 45 minutes on that track, and it was hot. <laughs> it's like, you know, and you 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 know you, you had sort of over warmed up, you know, like, you're like, what do I do here? Like, you know, it's like, something like, what was it like, something like 80 odd percent humidity or something and 70 odd percent heat something like 70 was it was at 73 percent and 82 or the other way about not, i can't remember it's that long ago but it was very high humidity and it was very hot and i just remember um i actually went and had a cold shower before we actually came out which i've never done before in my life but i was mm. just so hot just from walking about um and i did an 800 meter jog that was my warm-up and i just sat in the track waiting <laughs> It was like it was a crazy crazy like way to prepare for you know, a final of a race. Um, But it was just so hot. So I just stretched, did a couple of strides, and away I went. Um, and then, yeah, I had a good race.
0: But it seems to me, I'll tell you if I'm wrong, but the, it was the archetypal Liz McCoglin race, where you just, you just took it out in front and made it as tough as possible for everyone.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I always used to get frustrated that, um, like, people just running slow and then, you know, kicking. Because, like, for me, racing... If I don't go out and race hard, I'd be just as well training. You know, I don't get anything out of it. And my thought process on racing was to get the best possible race that you can do on that day. Now, not every time. You know, every, every time you race is not always going to be the best race that you'll ever do. But, um, you know, every race should be your best effort, no matter what that is. Um, And so, you know, I... I I front ran a lot of my races just because I wanted an honest pace. There's no like when when I sat in at the, the the Olympics, you know, there was always a sprinter on my shoulder, and I was like, well, you know, you've got to get rid of that kind of runner, and the only way you're going to get rid of that type of runner is by making them hurt early. So that's what I took from the the um, Seoul Olympics. You know, I changed my whole strategy on how I needed to win races. And the only way that I was going to win a race is by making everybody hurt. And if, you know, if they get past me at the end of the day, then they've just been the better runner on the day. But, you Mm. know, if I went out and, you know, gave it my best shot and, and ran the best race for me, which is the most important thing, you've got to run your race, not anybody else's race. And so that's why I ran the way I did. I wanted it, you know, it wasn't blistering fast. It was just an honest pace right from the go. But because of the heat and the humidity, it really took its toll on a lot of people. And um, luckily for me, you know, I, I, I was running well. I felt comfortable. Um, it was well below what I was capable of running, which probably helped. Um, but, yeah, it, it turned out, uh, you know, a good result for me.
0: OK. And, and you went to do the New York marathon for the, first, well, marathon for the first time in New York. And um, it was a bit of unknown territory for you, but you, you ran away with that one as well.
1: Yeah, well, the New York marathon was never planned. Um, you know, I, I've always been a, a high-miles person. You know, even as a track runner, I'd be running 100 miles a week or whatever. Never a big long-runner person. Like You know, I never did, like, 15, 20-mile runs. You know, I, I used to just do, like, 12-mile runs. But, you know, I'd run twice a day and the miles added up and all that sort of thing. Um, but um, when I'd won the world title, it was about four or five days later, Fred Lebow, who was the... New York Marathon director, race director, called me up and he said, "Oh, well, Liz, we've just had a, a press conference and Lisa Ondoniki and Rosa Mota, who were the two of the fastest girls in the world for the marathon that year and were running New York, they had a press conference and they they were asked in the press conference, you know, a young, little, uh, young Scottish girl has just won the world title for the 10,000 meters. Do you think she'd ever be a good marathon runner? And they both turned around and said, no, they don't think that I would be good. And that um, they don't think I'd run well in the roads because I run with too much of a bounce, and so he said to me, "Do you want to come and prove them wrong?" And then, and then I just <laughs> said, "Yeah." <laughs> he knew how to
0: push you up once did
1: not he? <laughs> so I never over the phone, and it was it was literally like six weeks away. So you know, I didn't really change. I, I I was supposed to go on a break, and I prolonged. You know, I just kind of prolonged my season. Um I did like uh a couple of longer runs I did like a nine i think I did a nineteen mile run and that was at one of them and then i did like i just extended my sort of training like so instead of doing six by a mile, I did a ten by a mile session which went really well and then I did like uh two really long flat legs and that was the whole of the thing for the whole of the six weeks and I went out and I debuted at two twenty six and actually won the marathon but was running so comfortable it was like you, when you're on song, you're on song, and there's nothing more, there's nothing, no better feeling than an athlete that's at the peak of their career, and you're running because you just flow, and it's so effortless. You know, even when you're running world records, which I did, you know, I set world records um, for the 5K indoors, 5K roads, 8K roads, 10K roads, half marathon. And I held them for like 12 years, 10 to 12 years. But when you run times like that, it just comes effortless. You know, you're just in such great form that you just flow. And I think, it, in uh, you know, at that sort of era, especially like New York and the world, I was just in such great shape. I think I could have ran anything and I just would have like, you know, like ran well it was just
0: mm. it was just,
1: you know the peak of my career really
0: to be honest mm. Mm. but for next year olympic you step back down for ten thousand meters again from the, having dabbled with the roads yeah because
1: think, I, I hadn't no. i hadn't planned on doing the marathon you know i i wanted to be on the track for another three years and then move up to the marathon but it just all came too quickly for me because because i i did so well in new york i then got this unbelievable offer from london marathon that i couldn't refuse i signed a contract with london It was the first ever signing for an athlete for the marathon and um it was something i couldn't refuse and so it kind of like pushed me into the marathon a little bit earlier than i wanted to and then um you know yeah and and you know i had wanted to go back to do at least 110k and then when i went to um when I went to run the 10K, um, In, in had, Barcelona? In Barcelona. I, mean, I, I was yeah. in Barcelona, and, and I'd never had, like, I went into Barcelona, and for about six weeks, I felt really tired after training. Like, I'd get my session in, and my session would be quite good. You know, it, it wasn't far off of what I needed, or looked for in my sessions. But it was like, I took like, extra days to recover, and I, I couldn't understand what was wrong with me. I just felt awful. And I went and got like, you know, I, I went and sort of seen doctors and all this sort of thing. And then when I went to Barcelona, it was like I, um, I actually thought I was having a heart attack. Um, I actually, like, had a problem with my chest. I couldn't breathe. And it was like uh, I was um, hyperventilating and I, I I just couldn't get any air in my lungs. And I really, really struggled. And I, I I did end up finishing and I ended up fifth. And then I went to see a specialist um, He was a specialist in cross-country skiing in, in Norway. And he um was a specialist in the sort of chest heart and lungs and stuff. And I went to see him and he put like a camera down into my chest and my lungs and whatever and he discovered that I'd actually damaged all the bronchial tubes in my lungs from running he reckons it's from running as a youngster behind diesel buses. You know, like mm-hmm. um, heavy traffic. So I'd actually damaged the bronchial tubes in my in my chest and it was the first time it ever hit me, um while training and then after that um i had to use inhalers for the rest of my career um but it was just unfortunate that for i don't know what set it off in that race whether it was the climate or i don't know um but yeah that's what happened in barcelona and then um it never happened to me again in a race because i obviously had inhalers that i had to take to open up all the the bronchial tubes and all that sort of stuff okay
0: okay okay um and Beyond that, when you, you, you linked up with uh, Greta Vex yeah. as your couch, didn't you? After that, was, that, was, yeah, it,
1: after that, was we, it? No, there was a, a bit of things happened there. Like so, like in the going into sort of like ninety two, I'd sort of won Tokyo marathon, and then um, I was having I was, I started to get like a little bit of a, a back niggle, uh, not back niggle, like um, I had a nerve, uh, and then I'd run. And then for some reason, the the nerve in my, like, it would swell. And then I would lose all feeling in my leg. So I'd be running along the road, and then all of a sudden my leg would just buckle under me. I didn't know what was going on. So I went to see a physio, and the physio says, oh, you need to get orthotics. It's coming from your back or whatever. And he gave me one orthotic for my shoe, which nowadays, you know, you need two to even you out. So on the very first run, I went and tore my medial ex and I had an, um, it was a really bad injury. It's the only injury that, you know, I really picked up really that, you know, stopped me running at that stage. And um, I got an operation and through the operation, my knee got infected. So I had to get another operation and I was left with a knee that I couldn't bend and I couldn't straighten. And I was trying for months and months and months to try and get back running, and I couldn't get back. There was lots of nerve damage and all that stuff. So I was said to, you know, my husband at the time said, "I think maybe if we go to Florida, the heat might help." Because I was thinking muscular, you know, the heat might help it sort of relax a bit, and I might be able to get back into jogging and all this sort of thing. And then um, I was walking down the street in um, in Florida and um, in Gainesville, Florida. And I heard a guy shout over to me, and he's like, oh, Liz, what are you doing here? And it was Marcus O'Sullivan and Frank O'Mara. They were two, well, I think Marcus at the time was the world indoor mile record holder. But anyway, you know, I I met them as I was walking down the street, and um, I said to them, like, oh, you've got this injury, and he goes, oh, I've got the guy for you. So anyway, they introduced me to a guy called Jared Hartman, and Jared, if it hadn't been for Jared Hartman, I definitely wouldn't have got back running, that's for sure. And he used to work with me for about eight hours a day, like Oof. morning and night, he was working on my leg, and he eventually got me back running. But in the meantime, he was he was actually cheating Greta Weitz. and through like so through meeting me, and then obviously treating Greta, he said to me, "Oh Liz, you know what? I've got I've got a um, a, a client, and um, I think you should meet her because you're very alike. Everything that you say is very similar. You know, your mindset's the same and whatever." And he said it's Greta Weitz. And he had said the same to Greta, but the two of us are that similar. I was like, no, 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 I don't, I don't want to meet her. And she was the same. Well, I mean, was she a rival of
0: yours? Or I mean, you were sort of di- slightly different, no, as, no, weren't you? No?
1: Greta was 10 years before me. Yeah. So she was running, like when I was in. But we were just so similar, like we didn't like to meet new people. And I'm like, no, 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 I, you know, I don't need to meet her and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, he arranged her, me to be coming out as, as she was going in on one of his uh, <laughs> one of, like, the, like sessions so we had we couldn't avoid each other so we ended up chatting and we really did hit it off and um we became really good friends and then she sort of like became mentoring me and then after very very quickly we're like do you know what just why don't we try why don't you just coach me and let's see how it goes so we had we had a really really good partnership and um you know, she coached me in '96, and you know, I I I won London and things. So I was very very fortunate to get someone that has the exact same mindset as myself. It's kind of similar backgrounds and upbringing. Um, not quite the same, but similar. Similar traits that were the same.
0: Mm-hmm. And.
1: Um, on all distances were like a hundredth of a second or a second or whatever behind like, you know, within each other and fifteen hundred, three thousand, five thousand very similar runners. Um, it was just uncanny. And so, um, even even like without a discussion we'd think kinda similar. So it worked really, really well. Um we you know, we, we were um we were quite close for a while and then obviously um, you know, Greta got sick and Think oh I stopped running and all that sort of stuff and then unfortunately Greta got cancer and you know mm. uh, unfortunately died in that but um but yeah we we kept we kept quite close for a while like right up until her death really you know so mm. um and one of the saddest things was when um you know Greta never really visited a lot of people but um you know she knew that she wasn't doing great and she actually made the effort to come over to Scotland and actually stay with me in Scotland. Um, it was a really precious time that you know she took that time out to actually come over and spend time with me.
0: Mm.
1: There was a an amazing strong woman who was a big influence on me, you know, towards the latter, uh, end of my career, really.
0: Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah, a, bit a legend of the sport, really. Yeah. So yeah. she 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 was there. With you for, you did win London. I mean, you had a few near missed at London, but it was, yeah. you got the win, didn't you? <laughs> nineteen ninety
1: six. Two seconds, a third, and a fourth, and a fifth. Yeah. <laughs> <The problem>. yeah. <laughs>
0: good. Good to get the win though, in ninety six. Um. Yeah. And and how was how was it going into Atlanta? Were you confident going into the Atlanta games?
1: I really was, yeah. And and again, Greta was coaching me for that, and um, we were doing. You know, I, I was that confident that I thought all I needed to do was turn up and that gold medal was mine. I, I firmly believed um, I didn't have a, I've never ran the way I did in my preparation up to um, Atlanta. And we even planned like, you know, Greta was like, don't go into the village till the last minute because it can be noisy. We don't want to interrupt anything. We're in Gainesville, so it's just like, you know, one little flight in. It was fine. Um, everything was great. I go in the day before, the night before, well, sort of two nights before my race, I've gone to the village. Everything was great. Go for a jog. Saw Jer there because Jer was part of the Irish team. I get up in the morning and I couldn't put my foot down on the ground. I was like, jeez, what's happened here?" And when I looked at my, like my leg, I had like a, a little, like nick on my heel and i had a red line that was just like right up the back of my calf and i literally couldn't put any weight on it and i thought jeez what's happened here so i went to see the doctor and the doctor reckons i was bitten by something and because of the heat and humidity they it just poisoned my bloodstream went right into the bloodstream poisoned the whole of the system so um they strapped all my leg all the way up to my top my, my sort of groin area to try and stop the poison from coming up the leg um all my glands and everything were all swollen up Mm. um so the day before i sat in my room with my leg up i had that much penicillin i could actually smell it coming out of my skin i had like liquid penicillin i was taking um pills i was everything to try and get rid of the the infection Mm. and you just think you just hope and hope that you know because you're in such great shape even that there um, will be great. And the doctors arrived in the morning of the race. ready to give me an injection into my heel so I wouldn't feel it. And I said, no, I don't want that. I said, I'd rather, you know, know what I'm capable of doing rather than have, like, you know, a numb leg. But mm. um, it was just, like, when it, like, I can't even remember. I think I was so doped up on penicillin and medication, I can't even remember running a race. I actually thought I didn't finish it. And it wasn't until, like, several years later, Duke dude Gillen said to me, he said, no, you finished 25th. And I said, I can't even remember finishing it.
0: Mm, I was so do- top, right. up.
1: But um, it was like I was on Go Slow. It was like I was on a slow-motion movie. Like, I felt like everybody was just going, all the way past me. And I couldn't move. I couldn't run. I was just in, like, the slow pace of, like, I don't know, I was just spaced out. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs>
0: but, oh, what a shame. What so, a shame, yeah. Because, because... Yeah, it's a sh- it's a shame. It's um, it's all timing, isn't it? It's um, I think it well,
1: made me realise it, it was a hard lesson for me because it changed me as an athlete completely. It completely changed my whole look on like outlook on what running is and whatever. And it's like you know, you always come up with it. You know, poor me, why me? What did I do wrong? You know, I'm not that bad a person. <laughs> you know, mm. you go into all this sort of like thing. You know powers it be must not like me and you know, all this sort of stuff and you sit and you overthink it and overthink it and I just came to the realisation that, you know, it doesn't matter that like you could be in the best shape possible, but you need a lady look on your side. It depends what side of the bed you get up in the morning. And you know, if it's written in the stars and on they all line, great. But sometimes it just doesn't happen for you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. And it really changed me as a as a a competitive athlete from that moment on. Because I realised that, you know, um, you know, I, I gave a lot of sacrifices and, you know, even to my family and that, you know, like going away to training Gainesville and keeping, you know, like missing birthdays and missing this and missing that. And, you know, we had Orla with us as a kid and we were upheaving her and it just made me realise that, you know, um, there's other things just to running, you know, your whole balancing life should be a little bit more happier than what I was doing at that time. Mm. And so I, we went back to the the uk we put you know orland to school there and yeah we just settled into a more structured family life really rather not about running
0: but you must have, i mean you're still must have been in cracking good sh- good shape for the next two years though because you did you ran pbs in london didn't you you ran best of times at london marathon those two years did you yeah. did, were you running were you running that because you were contracted to run those events is that what it was a long-term contract no, 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 no.
1: I, I mean hmm. you know i i'd always you know i I was still quite early in my career as a marathon runner. You know, I didn't run a lot of marathons. I really didn't, you know, and and I was still quite focused on, like, you know, when I got back, um, you know, I I, I still believed that, you know, I could improve in the marathon. So, you know, the whole thing with the marathon was to, you know, just get stuck back into it and, um, you know, try to get... You know, the British record and all this, that was really motivating me, you know, all that sort of thing. And, uh, but you know, yeah, I had a, I had a fairly decent next two years, but it was, it wasn't, um, all plain sailing, if you know what I mean. Do you know what? It was like, you know, you get to your peak of your career. And then the latter end, end of your career, although you still run well, it's all about balancing. You know, you get niggles and then you balance it and then it gets a little bit more niggly mm. and niggly and niggly and then it's like, sort okay, of kind of you just burn your way out and your career's over. And that kind of started happening with me, you know, I kind of like, you know, I was running well, but not as well as what I should have been or could have been, you know, because, you know, the body was starting to have little breakdowns in it and things like that, you know. Um, And it happens to the best of people, you know, you you have your day and then, you know you, you know, you end up having like, especially when you're an endurance runner because you put so much miles into your body, you know, you do abuse your body a lot like you because your body's not built to run 120 miles a week and you're doing it week in, week out. So, you know, after accumulative time and many 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 years of doing that you're going to have the effects of it and that kind of started happening with me you know I started having foot problems and the foot problem was an onset of the knee problem it was all the same leg um I got an ulcer in my bone um my big toe and um ignored it ignored it ignored it and then it came to the point where they were actually going to amputate my two toes um and that was like you know the end of my career that that was me i was done you know i've got a rigid foot now um mm. you know i've got a little stub I've got my big toe is actually a toe made from bone from my hip um <laughs> yeah you know, it, it, it's you know a, a catalogue of like just abusing the body really <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a sacrifice you make, isn't it? I think at elite level sports, unfortunately, for a lot of people. Before we get to it, can I just, can I just throw some names at you? Because I want to look at you know, who you, you, your contemporaries at the time. And just, just tell me what comes to the first in mind if I throw a few names at you. So first of all, I'm going to try with Yvonne Murray. What comes to mind when you think about Yvonne Murray?
1: A really nice girl who I believe should have got more acclaim for the athlete that she was. She was a great athlete. And I don't think that, I think a lot of people don't actually acknowledge her to the great athlete and competitor that she was.
0: Mm, Okay. Ingrid Christensen, what do you remember about her?
1: A leader for women's distance running. Um, You know, she kind of broke down barriers, set very, very, you know, set the bar really high for the next generation. Um, You know, made massive leaps in the standard of distance running for women.
0: Okay. Segla Laroop.
1: She was a sweet girl. Um, <laughs> probably one of the the first Kenyan women to actually come to the forefront. You know, it was always men. So she was kind of one of the leaders of the Kenyan push for world-class women runners. But she was a really sweet girl. She was tiny. Never saw anybody so tiny as her in my life. but. Um, but a strong woman, really, really strong woman and uh, very intellectual. Zola Bud Zola, Zola was a nice girl as well. Um, I spent a lot of time with Zola when Zola first came on the scene. Um, I think that I felt really sorry for her when she first came because she was very naive. Um, I think she had a lot of people giving her misguided um, decisions probably she you know she didn't have any choice in but i think that when you look at her now she's the, you know she's um grown up to be a really well-rounded um woman and she's doing a lot for South African athletics now you know she's doing a lot with the Cape Town um marathon um and she you know she was definitely a leader for um what the South African women had to deal with back then. Mm.
0: Okay. And finally, uh, Dorata Chulu.
1: Um, I guess, I suppose, uh, you know, I, I first met her when she was like, I beat her at the World Championship. She was the girl that tried to slow down my race, so I remember that. Um, I didn't have an awful lot of races against her later on, but again, she was probably one of the first Ethiopian girls to sort of lead the challenge as well. Um, so again, she sent the bar well for Ethiopian women to start being competitive and being world-class. Um, and even now, she's, she's sort of like involved to a high level of um, athletics in Ethiopia. You know, she's still giving back to... Um, the sport, like um, she's like team manager and everything for the the Olympics for uh, Ethiopia and things. So she's given a lot back to the sport as well, which is good to see that she's still involved.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so so when so you, you, you it's hard to pinpoint when you retire, but you have kind of drifted away. You haven't lots of kids, didn't you? <laughs> You've got five <laughs> kids, haven't you? <laughs>
1: <laughs> five, five kids. <laughs>
0: Wow, so you had a lot of kids at the time then. But you did make a brief comeback, didn't you? I mean, I remember it wasn't at the same level we were talking before, but you did take part in like, Scottish National Championships and a few cross countries. Yeah, that, yeah.
1: that was only because, like, in 2003, um, I became chairperson of Scottish Athletics, yeah. and I was very aware that we didn't have a lot of sponsorship and everything then, so I decided to try and get sponsorship and get media awareness that I would run <laughs> Scottish Cross Country Championships and I also ran the Scottish Indoor Championships and in the Indoor Championships I ended up getting like the fastest time in Europe that year so everybody was like oh you're going to the 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 you know the European indoors right, because you're the fastest in Europe and I was like sort of like this much thinking like oh I might do that but then I went and ran the cross country and um, I went and fractured my foot again I, I actually had a, a false toe joint at the time okay. <laughs> I went and ran the cross country in Perth and I actually fractured the, the toe joint, right. um, which was the massive problem with my foot. So that sort of little flurry of like getting back into my running didn't last very long. And then I was back in the hospital with a major operation for my foot that kind of was a nightmare. And um, so that, yeah, and I fully then retired.
0: Yeah. I, I actually remember that that cross country in, in Perth. I was there. I remember the, there's something quite quirky about that because it was, on the podium was it was three world champions. It was you, followed by the triathlete Katrina um, Morrison. Is it? She's like yeah. she was a world duathlon champion, yeah, and I'm the world world mountain champion. So three world champions in the Scottish Cross Country Championship top three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that happens very often. <laughs> That's right, so obviously coaching was a thing now and uh, and we'll get on to alish now you have coached a lot of athletes, but i'm going to focus on Ailish and her, her successes and um um it must i mean she's been on the, you know it's been a bit, a bit of a journey hasn't she it's took her she's had her problems herself but she's um she's managed to succeed and uh, and and in particular this year with the the commonwealth games was um well i think it was quite a moment for everyone it was just a, a wonderful sporting moment for, for uh, you know take place in in this home country and with Ailish's yeah. struggles through the years and, and and winning a title that you won, so it was quite a moment for everyone. It's it's it, uh, it give everyone a bit of goosebumps. What's it like for you though, to be to see your daughter doing that and following in your footsteps?
1: Um, I think it, it it's great for any parent to see your 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 uh, children succeed at anything at any level, you know. So you know, there's immense pride and whatever. But I think for me, um, you know, the the, the thing with Ailish with the Commonwealth Games for for some reason and I don't know why. It's like it's always been a thing for her. Even from Olympics to um like Europeans and all this, she's always said she wanted to win a medal at the Commonwealth Games. And I don't know where she's got that drive from, but it was all and and, and I remember saying to her like, Yeah, but you've got Europeans and she goes, No, it's important to me to get a medal at the Commonwealth Games and I don't know why. So like when we when we were like training or whatever you know you obviously see the times that she's doing and you know for me and Alish and I suppose any other any other pund out there you know um a bronze was a very realistic medal opportunity um you know I think that you know she was better shaped than the British girls um and everybody else Kenyans are always going to be the, 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 the ones that are going to be major medal winners. Um, so, you know, we went into the Commonwealth Games with the realisation that, yeah, we're going for bronze. That, you know, that bronze medal is there to be won. Anything else is a bonus. Um, the two Kenyan girls, and I know that a lot of the commentary were saying that Eilish had the fastest time, but the two Kenyan girls did those times at altitude. So they're actually faster than Eilish. Um, you know, like you know, they ran thirty, forty, five, and thirty. I think thirty or thirty thirty. And the girl that was second was actually world cross country champion. And then the girl that was third actually beat Ailish at the world championships the year before. So Ailish had never beaten any of the two of them. And her time, you know, on paper, she, you, you know, the girls she, they're going to give her a run. Um. So for Ailish, you know, it was all about for whatever reason in her head, she wanted to get that medal. And I thought it was really important to pursue that with her. And, um, you know, going into the race, I said to her, you know, if you run the right race, you know, you can win it. I said, but it has to be the perfect race for to do that. And and for that, for her to win it, normally, like, you know, a Kenyan will always put a burst in. And normally... Ailis, she'll always just let them go. And I says, if you know, if you know, you've got anything to do here, is whenever they do a move, you've got to cover it. And that's the thing that she did different at the Commonwealth Games. She actually made the effort, although she took the pace out, and we wanted a, an honest pace. It wasn't like a blistering fast pace. It was an honest pace that you know a few people could run at. Um, her her the reason she won is because she never once let them go away from her you know if they made a move she went no matter what she went and um and that as soon as i saw that from like i think i saw the first move they moved about oh about i think it was about six laps out and i thought my i just sat up i thought oh someone's different happening here because normally the gap will go and Neil will let them go and i and i I, mm. I just actually I actually stood up for my thing I, I moved away from people and i went and stood um in the foyer because i thought there's something happening here and i could see it early on and then um you know i i, I looked at the girl that was like sort of looked uncomfortable and i thought i think you know i definitely want silver or gold here and then you know the the kenyan girl fell off completely and i thought silver or gold silver or gold but you could just see how she wasn't letting it go, and it, it, you know it could have been a toss of a hat at the end of the day like who you know who won it but she just looked a different athlete with a different mindset and she wanted it more than anybody and i don't know i don't know where she what what her thought process i've not even really talked to her about like why it wasn't so important for her to get a medal at the commonwealth games but um you know, I thought I thought for me it was the best I've ever seen her run, best I've ever seen her compete, and for me it was just an honour to be there and to actually see, like, because Ailish, if anybody's followed Ailish's career, she's had a lot of ups and downs. You know, she's yeah. trained really hard. She's had, she's got seven screws in her foot from steeple chasing. Uh, we had to move, you know, more or less careers really. She went from steeple chasing to running flat. Um, you know, she's had a lot of negativity about. You know, people thinking she, you know, she she like, she wasn't going to make um a good distance runner on the flat, um you know she's always had to fight for her way, and I think for me all coming together on that night was just so special, and for her to have that night where everybody in the stadium was shouting for her, I mean the, it was so noisy, it was unbelievable, and for me to be actually able there to see her do it, not only as a coach but as her mother and all of that it was just one of those unreal special moments that you'll probably never ever ever love again. But um and I think it just makes it so so much more special that the fact that I got to experience the exact same thing in Edinburgh. So I could mm. understand exactly how she was feeling. So mm. it was even bigger buzz, you know, it was just like one of these like I don't know, special, special moments that um very, very thankful that um I was able to share it with her. And for her to actually it's kinda like um when you have when you have a lot of um, disappointments and you get that, you know, the one time where it all comes together for you, um, I think she deserved it in my eyes. I think she's a a deserving candidate for having a night like that.
0: Yeah, definitely so, definitely, yeah. So it's the pressure now on for her and Michael to have a child and for that child to win the Commonwealth <laughs> Games. <laughs>
1: Well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely no, not. I think I it was... it again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was it was a very special moment, yeah. Uh, and so and what's the next step for her? Is it is the marathon she's gonna go on to? I mean that that's that was it was planned this year, wasn't it? But obviously it was a very, very busy year, so
1: Yeah, it was planned this year and then we felt like and um I know, like Aylist did a lot of long runs and when she did her she didn't 18 mile run and she tried to take on gels and she felt awful and then we tried it again with the gels on a shorter run and she felt awful so we found out that her body um doesn't absorb the carbohydrates in the gels that you get you know the the gels that people can buy so we need to find a solution to that because um whereas when you take a gel and it makes people feel they've got more energy it does the opposite of the actually makes her like hypoglycemic so she actually goes flat was very okay. leg heavy. She feels nausea, so um, it doesn't sit well in her tum- in her system at all. So um, we're going to be able to work with a nutritionist on another form of carbohydrate, which Johnny Brownlee had the exact same um, condition. Uh, I don't know if you remember when he was he fell and his brother picked him up, and well, that's that's what happened to Johnny.
0: Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the triathlete. Yeah, it was at some World Cup race, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So ahead. that's
1: what happened to him as well. So, you know, it does happen. Um, and, you know, it probably happens to a lot more people than you think of that just don't really associate with it. But, you um, know, for elite sport, you've got to get all those avenues and box ticks because you can't run at, you know, close to your maximum for 26 miles and not take on fuel. So we need to get the right fuel source for her. So we're going to work on that. She's just had a break um and she's just getting back to fitness now so in the next phase we will be working with a nutritionist to um identify well we've already got the carbohydrate but just to work out exactly how much she needs to partake in her like sort of like her, her increments that she needs to do for to do the marathon
0: okay okay so n- knowing that and knowing, i know obviously done not for many years now as well and there's your increased knowledge around sports science. What what would you do differently yourself, looking back in your own career now? Would you what would you do differently?
1: I would have a pair of carbon shoes. That's for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, these are the, the new new shoes. Yes, <laughs> of course. I definitely have the the
1: yeah the new carbon <laughs> shoes. Uh, I think. Um, oh gosh, I would I, I wouldn't. I don't think that. Um, I probably would not train quite as hard as what I did. I think I was a really, really tough trainer and I don't think that I needed to train quite as hard as I did for the results that I got. You know, I think that um I could have like been a little bit more intense is the word.
0: Okay, okay. Uh okay, I see. Um okay, so now, now you're now you're uh now you're living in Doha of course in Qatar, uh with but yeah, but you yeah. Husband John, who was also an Olympic runner as well. Um, tell me a bit about life there. What 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 do you do with yourself these days? You run this athletics club, yeah?
1: Yeah, we're very busy. Um, I um, I started my uh, a little athletic club here called Do Athletic Club, and we have about eighty kids that um, all all countries, um, you know, Qatari plus expat, um, and we do from sort of mini-athletics, which is, like, five-year-old to nine, and then from nine to 18. Um, We do like the bare essentials of, like, um, an ABC programme, really, in the youngsters. Um, You know, because it's so hot and humid here, it's about really getting them active more than elite sport. Um, And it's just trying to get them physically active, but get them – very aware of how to use the body properly how to run properly um so that's kind of what we teach here um you know and and we've been very very fortunate to have had a couple of little gems that have come through and you know there sort of uh, a couple of uh, girls went and sort of like ran gb level um we've had a couple of kids go on scholarship to the states uh, we've had kids that will go back to the national team and be running at junior level for the national teams. So it's pretty good. You know, we've got our, um, uh, first cerebral palsy girl that's been working with us. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Elizabeth Dodd. So yeah, so it, it's a good mix. Um, it keeps us coaching, keeps us happy. And then obviously I still do my coaching with elish and, and then I've got a couple of, uh, uh, adults that I'm coaching now too, I've, I've got the, I've just started coaching last year um, uh, Guitari, the fastest born Guitari man for running the marathon, so that's started to take shape where, you know um, I, I, I could see in the next couple of years the actual standard of Guitari athletes rising because a lot more are getting more active now you know, triathlon's really big here ultra running's really big here mm. as well as marathon running, so um so, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good environment to be in just now because there's a big explosion of activity. Um, even though it's hot and humid, people are very active and they're getting more active. So that's what we're trying to support, really.
0: Yes, Gustav, stuff, Gustav. Stuff. It's great to see you, see you doing so well. Uh, well. We'll wrap up shortly, but just tell me how you would sum up your career, Liz, if you had to put it into a few sentences.
1: Um, I think I'd sum up my career by saying that I'd always want to be remembered as an athlete who ran to the best of her ability. Um, You know, I I always gave it a go um, and I was a solid performer. But I think that um, for me, you know, I, I still run to this day for the reason that I ran as a 12 year old. And for me, running is far more than just medals and it's far more than winning a race for me you know the 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 sort of well-being that i get from my running is just something that i'm grateful that i found because i don't think that i would be the person i am today if it wasn't for my running and that's in all aspects of life you know, my mental well-being my ethos of what i do with my children um the person i am uh, and what i enjoy doing um and I, I and for me you know still being involved in the sport means a lot because I'm I'm still enjoying doing what I was doing and giving back to a sport that's given me so much, really.
0: Lovely. Thanks, Liz. It's always a joy talking, talking with you again, and inspirational as well. Thanks thanks so much.
1: (laughs) Thanks a lot. Nice talking to you.
0: Thanks for listening
1: to Athletic Life Stories with Chris Broadbent. Please tell your friends and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.